podcast is sponsored by Kari Wine Innovation. That's K-A-U-R-I, Kari, like the wood here in New Zealand, the native wood, in case you don't understand my American accent. They're suppliers of high-quality winery products throughout Australia and New Zealand. Please visit kariwine.com and drop them a line. Uh, it's not just wine they help you out with. They also have what's called a Braumeister. What's what's a Braumeister, you ask, Dan? Well, you must not be very cool because everyone knows what a Braumeister is. It's a brewing kit for whole grain brewing. And I know it because I read it off this piece of paper in front of me right now. And guess what? They have them in both uh, home brewer and commercial brewer sizes. Uh, personally, I think you should get a commercial size and put it in your home if you can get the permits, that is. But anyway, just call your local council member and get the permits to put a commercial uh, Braumeister from Kari. No, of course not. That's not what Kari, that's, but that's actually why Kari is so great. Uh, they have a home model for you and won't require any special permits. You can do some great home brewing. And they've got the awesome commercial model. Uh, and yeah, there's a couple wineries around town even now that are brewing. So, uh, local brew, local brews, local beer is great. Why not get yourself a Braumeister from Kari? Um, they have a great commercial products as well from all the different winery range and, um, but they are big believers in the brewery as well. Uh, I even heard that guy Dean went to Philadelphia, my hometown to go out to one of the world's best beer weeks uh, and I can attest to that it is a great beer week uh, so anyway Kari's committed to knowing what's the best please visit kariwine.com and check it out we're also sponsored by decibelwines.com uh, by the time you read this we'll release the testify by the time you read this by the time you listen to this I'm reading uh, by the time you listen to this uh, the testify Goodlet gravels Malbec uh, will be out and uh, podcast listeners will get 10% off their first order. Uh, that's over $100 orders. Uh, and free shipping with anything over 12 bottles. By using the promo code DBPODCAST at checkout. Uh, you guys know how to check out and put in promo codes, I'm sure. You know by the word promo code what that means. That's... <laughs> yeah. You know, all the old people pretend they don't know how to use the internet and technology and they joke around about it all but they seem to get really good at it when they need to use their grab-ons and group on and they come in droves to restaurants for uh you know buy one get ones free but anyway the whole range of wines are up on decibelwines.com unlike anywhere else in the whole world you just get the wines directly from us if you're outside of new zealand it will take a bit longer, but remember, patience is rewarded with wine. So uh, we ship to all 50 states in the, in the U.S., yes, even your state. And just click on the country's flag and go to the store. Uh, we should have new countries up like uh, U.K., Singapore, Japan, Hong Kong. Um, and the discount applies to all those countries So uh, for your first order. So just visit decibelwines.com and just click Shop Decibel Wines. Click on your flag and you'll figure out the rest.
Vintage Story Podcast. Yeah, so where are we at? Well, um, lots going on. I kind of thought it was fitting with James Milton on the podcast today that I might mention that, man, I've had just a couple conversations lately with some growers, and um, times are always tough. Times are tough for growers, and, uh, you know, we have a water conservation right around the corner here in Hawks Bay, and well, man, it's just tough everywhere in the world, but it's certainly becoming not getting easier for growers everywhere. And if you're a grower and you're out there listening, go premium. You know, maybe not all at once. Go organic. I can say that there is a generation coming up now. I can count not on one hand. Probably would take me almost two hands of young winemakers out there and up-and-coming vineyards and up-and-coming people who would not only pay good price for quality fruit, uh, but would pay even more for organic fruit. So just have a think about that. I don't know. I just had a very tough conversation with a, a couple who I won't say who they are, but they're growers and, you know, they're going to pull out half, you know, good part of their vineyard because they can't sell to one of the big guys anymore. And I'm thinking, man, you put all, all this work for all these years and, and just because the business model sort of changing, uh, you're ready to give up. And not, you know, it's not really a knock on them. It's just more like they don't realize that there's people out there like me who would love organic fruit uh, and would be happy to work with them and be happy to pay a little more and not willing to squeeze them down in price and willing to work with them for many, many years to come. So uh, I don't know. That's my two cents in there. Also this week I'm doing the Young Winemakers event for uh, here in Hawke's Bay, which is part of the Greater New Zealand Winemaker or Young Winemaker of the Year. Uh, I don't haven't normally done this type of stuff in the past, and uh, I'm excited to do it. Lauren Swift, who if you don't know much about Lauren, she is on episode 46 of this podcast, is a great person and is highly organized and is running this event here in Hawke's Bay, a former champion herself, and. Uh, yeah, she asked me to do it. I'm excited to do it, and I hope I can tell you guys about it next week. Uh, I have a good feeling about it going into it, that it should be a cool experience, and I'm looking forward to it. Anyway, James Milton on the podcast today. Well, I mean, what a conversation. Uh, just a, you know, normally I, I, I am trying to get better about listening and engaging with my people. You'd be surprised you know, you might take that for granted that when you have a conversation with somebody, you need to be in the moment. And, um, maybe it was the fact that James was pulling me in a little more and I was excited to talk to him, but he has a way of being very present himself and listening to what you're saying. And uh, I just thought it was a really good conversation. And I mentioned once again, this, this podcast medium, and how we need to have long conversations like this. And if you get the blip and read a little bit about James Milton in a wine writer magazine or a, something like that, something online, you might not get the true grasp of what this guy's about. I hope in this, I think it was just under 45 minutes or an hour or something conversation that you get a little bit more insight into what the guy's about. Uh, I did try to play devil's advocate with a few things uh, like terroir and the orange wine scene. Uh, I hope I didn't uh, push him. Well, I, I hope I pushed him, but I hope 
uh, people understand that I, I love orange wines and uh, I love particularly the good ones and I like that people push the envelope. So uh, anyways, good conversation and let's talk to James. Oh, and we, right as we get into it, we're, you know, before I can even turn the microphones on, we started talking about Steiner schools and um, here in Hastings. So that's kind of where the conversation starts out. There you go. this early because it's so demanding it's so demanding and that school in Hastings has such a uh, reputation that uh yeah it's in demand so yeah if you can just turn at least speak in that general direction you don't have to get very close uh, but if you can speak in the general direction we'll I don't really do this very often so bear with me oh it's fine you're it's all set up to be uh to sound good and Thank you for doing this. Oh, my, my pleasure. Thank you. Daniel was going to come to Gisborne to do this, and I thought it was too far to go. For you made it easy on me. Though uh, we were talking, uh, we're, we're, we're started recording, by the way. Uh, we'll just get just a conversation, James, you know. But we, uh, we talk about, man, if they had that train from Hawke's Bay to Gisborne, how much more often we'd go up there. But Gizzy's just sort of off on its own. But I suppose that suits you a bit, being up there. Well, it's secluded. Yeah. Some people call it isolated, but the only isolated place is the Antarctic, I think. Yeah. We're secluded in this nice, warm environment that is far from the madding crowd. Mm. And in the world of wine, we're now promoting it as being a mild and pleasant climate. You know, everybody wants to have extremes of diurnal temperature. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's <laughs> nonsense. How the hell would you like to live in a place like that? Whereas living in Gisborne and making wine is just like being in most lo- lovely secluded place you could be yeah it's it's, it's great uh, we would like to get up there more so the know? train would be good yeah but you're just going to deal with these people called bureaucrats i know and they tend to have excuse the pun tunnel vision so uh, you're a proponent of that someday or sure, you, yes a, when you any, think of a steam train just traveling by train around new zealand would be fantastic it would be amazing and think about what goes on in europe and how easy it is to travel around there um yeah I wish it was uh, mm. was a little easier. We certainly didn't uh, hold strong enough to our railroads in the states either, but there's a bit of resurgence in that. You know, of course now we have underground tunnels being built by uh, Elon Musk, so we'll see how far that goes. Going and, where? Uh, well, from essentially, I'm not sure where he lives. I'm gonna say somewhere as far as you know Santa Barbara or something. Maybe not quite that far, but into L.A. Right oh, really? into L.A. Underground. Yeah. I, I don't understand how he's done it. I mean, he's obviously brilliant, and he's got all the drive in the world, but um, he's sort of, you know, they just, okay, do it, you know, like, go ahead, and he's built these tunnels uh, where basically they're, and when they try to criticize and say, oh, well, you're just building it in your neighborhood so you can get to L.A., and he said, well, sure, but it's going to be people and bicycle uh, get on first, and that's their demand. Oh, really? And the yeah. tunnels are going to be bicycle? You right. can just, you take your bike down a little little tunnel and hop on and they're these like little you know they're sort of like little cars yeah and it's not like one big train there's stuff online you can wow, see that's amazing um so maybe we have that but anyway there's a lot of noise in the world uh, um, and people are going too fast aren't they yeah yeah which is again why i was saying it's good to just sit down and have a conversation sometimes so uh, but we should start somewhere near the beginning. I know there's a bit of a story up on your podcast, but in your own words, 
uh, when did it start for you as far as winemaking and uh, that site or those sites up in Gisborne? When I was seven, I wanted to grow things, and when I was 14, I wanted to ferment fruits. And when I was 21, I was in Europe. <clears throat> and when we got to be 28, my wife comes from Gisborne, and someone gave us an opportunity. And I think that in life, you're given one opportunity. And if your eyes are open and your mind is there, and you can see it, and you can seize it, then um, you should take it. Yeah. It's not like having a midlife crisis or a change of occupation or something like that. So it's been in the blood all the way through. So 35 years ago, we started Milton Vineyard. And I swear and declare if I had my life over again, I wouldn't call it after myself because <laughs> you'll never get a day off. Yeah, that's true. Because your, your, um, your balls are on the line from the time you pick up the secateurs to the time you squeeze the cork into the bottle. Yeah, but you do want your name on the label somewhere, but maybe not uh, on the front. Where? <laughs> well, you know, I'm not complaining about it, but because you know, it's it's uh, like I, as I might have said, some people might think it's a lifestyle as opposed to a life sentence. Not saying that it's disagreeable, but it's certainly you're committed when you. Well, it's like the plate of eggs and bacon, isn't it? Do you know that story? No. The chicken only has a passing interest, but the pig had to be totally committed, and that's what. Um, that's what we are totally committed from the earth to the sky. Mm. So yeah, 1984 we started um, taking over a family vineyard that was uh, planted in these crass commercial varieties that big companies used to pay crap money for and you'd just have to produce as much as you could and then I was offered the chance of making wine from these and I said, don't be stupid. <laughs> Look over the fence there, that farmer has got some beautiful sheep that he's selected for over the last 30 years we need to do the same in the vineyard so then we came back to the idea of looking at some varieties that we'd experienced in Europe which is principally Chenin Blanc and and uh, and then the time went on so was there a thought at that stage that you thought Chenin would suit the climate or was it just you knew you wanted to make Chenin and it was quite versatile and it was a bottle of 1959 Moulin Touche from Anjou Fair and enough. I opened the bottle <laughs> during my, our first vintage when we were pressing Chenin Blanc, which had a little bit of botrytis on it. And we just looked at each other and went, wow, where does this come from? And yeah. that was sort of an, at that time. And then, of course, Sauvignon and Simeon were taking off, and we'd spent time in Germany, so Riesing was a fascination. And what year was this around? 83? 80, uh, 80, 81, 82, and then we started making wine in 84. Yep. And uh, it's just interesting in the world of wine, you see this rotation of uh, desires, consumer demand, and climate change. And you have to sit there and ask the question, what is it that I'm that we're really good at doing, growing, producing? What is it that we love? And therefore, what's our business plan? And... The interesting thing about the business plan is that being certified organic and certified biodynamic, we have to say to the certifying agency what it is that we're planning to do and what we have done. So consequently, with all our seven vineyards, they're all been certified for quite a few years. And so it's the best business plan that you can do. Yeah, I just, we were talking a little earlier about it, but you know, I don't own a vineyard and, uh, so I can only speak on it from all my experience, but 
uh, it just seems like you're, the clock is ticking no matter what that, you know, the more, and everybody knows it and it's an elephant in the room that you, you should be going, you know, doing things like dry farming and going organic, you know, we just had a great meeting with the Gibbet Gravels and the conversation at the end, and this is from some of the big guys or bigger guys, uh, were directed at, uh, Dermot from Stonecroft and how beautiful his wines were tasting and how elegant and how thick his skins were and, and uh, it's quite eye-opening, you know. And his vines are dry-farmed. Dry-farmed and certified organic. Yes. And, uh, you know, there'll be uh, haters out there that would <clears> say it can't be done on the gravels or it can't be done here, and it's just, it just drives me crazy. But The only risk they take is that they'll be convinced. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then what will they do? But you well, see the, the gravels here with the round stones, you have the ability to grow microbes at the bottom of the stone. You may have, It might be a meter down or two meters down. Mm-hmm. And they say the soil has got no moisture holding capacity, yet if they put compost on the soil and built up the life in the soil, or the stones, or the sand, or whatever it is in this instance, you'll get a little kingdom living underneath every stone, and that's where the vine roots will go, and that could be down into the cool dark area, so underneath the stone, so that when you have adverse conditions like some too much rain or not enough water, that the vines have their environment to live in. The buddies, the buddies to help them out, yeah. Yeah, the buddies to help them out, exactly. And then yeah. as a result of that, they make phenols and tannins that are more juicy instead of being hard and blocky mm. and astringent and aggressive. Yeah, and I bumped into George Fistinich last year, and he told me face-to-face that I asked him, it was like one of my first questions for him, I said, how's, how's it going? And he said, I got to say, we had... We're a little scary in the beginning, but by far now our organic blocks are more resilient, and now they're starting to all go into our top lines. Yeah. You know? So he's seeing the investment, you know. And well, you just got to look at Bordeaux now and see what's happened in the last ten years, and you know some of the best um, releases at the Empremeur have, you know, Chateau Ponte Canet, uh, and then this recently Chateau Latour is totally backing the system, and you have a look at what they're talking about and my golly me, it's bio this and bio that. And mm. you sit there and you go, what on earth are you doing this for? And they just want to look after their asset. Yeah, I think that's, we're a young country. But going back to what you were saying about looking over the fence uh, at the sheep, do you think, uh, I mean, it certainly sounds like at that stage there wasn't that thought into wine growing as looking after it like uh, certain other industries were at the time. Uh, I even see, even living in Hawke's Bay, for instance, that, I see a lot more organic beef and organic vegetables than I see organic wines. You know, not to say there are some up and comers, but um, do you think the industry has been slow to that in New Zealand? For and if so, why? Maybe it's been slow because of these voluminous commodities that are being sold specifically in single varieties, as opposed to something that is going to be tasting nice with this organic beef or these organic vegetables in other words at the table or with friends and you know New Zealand has got all these sheep and there's about four million of them that follow the sheep in front of them so they keep doing what it is that the textbook has taught them or the man on the white coat has taught them and they keep following this and they won't veer off the line until they get some awakening of their experience or their sensations Mm. And then you just have to now look in New Zealand and even here in Hawke's Bay to see who is changing to organic. I'm not prophesizing that everybody should change to organic, but what I am saying is that people have got to wake up into their senses and realize what it is that they're they're tasting. 
as to whether it's juicy, it makes you salivate, or it makes your your when you smell something, you see the twinkle in someone's eye because they've <laughs> smelled something that is in a dream, yeah. you know, that they have had some time before. Sense memory. Yes. Uh, that are sort of connected to things. Yeah, uh, and like like a relating a smell to a tone of music or to a feel of fabric. You're speaking my language now. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, I just, I did a speak at, uh, or a speech at Pecha Kucha, I think it was last year. Yeah, probably last year. And uh, that's all I talked about was sense memory and the fact that, you know, my great-grandfather has sort of time-traveled with me to this point. I mean, he's in my DNA. Right. But why is it that I've become obsessed with, you know, Italian white wines and um, and that why is it that much like music, uh, sense memory can, it's like time travel. It puts you back into another place. And... Uh, the best wines and the best experiences do that, you know, and smell, you know, you can walk into a kitchen and you, I can immediately be back in my grandmother's kitchen. What is that? You know, we don't talk about that enough and that there's something, um, you know, I don't know if it's a trippy thing or if it's really a scientific thing or if we'll ever figure it out, but it is a thing. That's for sure. Um, so yeah. How, I, how many notes in a decibel? How many no, notes? Of- oh, how, well, decibels, the, uh, the level of, of sound, yes. basically. Yeah, so, so in an octave, there's how many? Seven notes? Seven, yeah, you were talking about sevens earlier. I meant yeah. to mention that. So your age. Um, but it's certainly all tied in. And, you know, music's tied into mathematics. And I constantly in my head going through how many parallels between what I used to do in the music industry and what I do now in the wine industry and that sort of art and craft. And that in its best moments you can't even define what's going on in the, in the room or in the glass or whatever. It's just something that, uh, uh, and the best artists are able to do it, you know, but also, you know, there is a commercial side to it and there is a scientific side to it. And there is, you know, a craft side to it that you can't, it's not like you can just do it. You have to do all the work, uh, and then it comes at you and in different ways and at different times. And, uh, and then you have to do it in tune. uh, Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, and it's the great equalizer too. You know, uh, we talk about a world that has, uh, you know, I don't know, prejudice, racism, this and that. You know, if you talk to a mu- musician, all they care about is can the other guy play. You know, if you talk to, uh, if we got a, a room full of, uh, you know, people and twenty of them were wine growers, they probably all end up in the corner talking to each other. And they wouldn't care where they were from. You know, they would just say, "What are you doing?" You know, and I've found that in the industry is like, if I've been in Europe open arms california new zealand australia they what are you doing over there you know and and they're curious and they want to know so um it's sort of yeah uh, an equalizer in that sense there's no prejudice in what's good you know and who can play you know so you know in, in visiting france on the occasions that we do and in the past i used to say that i was a wine grower from new zealand and i would get just a shrug you know nothing no recognition at all not that i was trying to search for the recognition i just wanted to find the common ground yeah and then I would say to them, well, look, I'm a biodynamic wine grower from New Zealand. And there'd just be a shrug, you know. And then finally it dawned on me, and so I said to them, je suis dans métier, which means I'm in the business. And that's when they turned around and said, come on, <laughs> sit down and tell me what you do. Yeah. Exactly as what you were saying. And like with a room full of winemakers, how many of them are in the business because they're 
their commitment is there to it or how many in the business because they want to make money or how many in the business because they're employed to be in the business. Mm. And I think this is what's interesting in this trade at the moment is that when, especially in Hawke's Bay here, we, you're getting this soulfulness coming into the wine and a sense of somewhereness, if that's not a cliche. Well, I think there some of that, I hope, is from the next generation and the the sort of pioneers looking back on it as well and realizing everything that's happened. You know, there's probably so much, uh, my sense of it, I wasn't here, is that there was so much growth and so much happening from certainly the 90s onward that uh, now it's a bit of a step back and a breath and say, what's it, what are we actually doing here? You know, and uh, wh- what's, what's going on? What are we making? What's our identity? Uh, who are we? Uh, and it's complex too, because, you know, I'm from Philadelphia, I have Canadians here, there's Japanese, there's Chinese, there's uh, Europeans all over the place. I have more French friends here than I, I know in, in Europe. And <laughs> what do you put that down to? I put it down to a lot of people ended up here like me, which was, uh, it looked interesting and some of them moved to other areas and then gravitated to here because of lifestyle and weather and, and then, uh, realized that there is, uh, I, I do think you need a critical mass and that's part of why I was asking you about, uh, Gisborne and, and, uh, it must be exciting sometimes to, I, I find it exciting to go to any wine region, uh, but it must be cool to visit a slightly bigger, uh, wine region and a bigger community. Um, though we are, like I said, still trying to find our identity. Um, there is a community here in Hawke's Bay. You know, mm. there is, and there's an establishment, and I joked around. Uh, there's a cosmopolitan nature in Hawke's Bay. There, there is. There's a bit of that as restaurants, and I remember, it's funny you say that, because years ago when I first moved here, I looked up and, you know, like uh, the travel book, What what is the big travel book that all the you know young tourists get or whatever and I, re- I didn't know anything about Hawks Bay and I read it and it said what's it something uh, or planet, uh, planet. A lonely planet lonely or planet, something like, and, yeah. uh, and it said about Hawks Bay you know kind of gave a description of the area and all typical stuff they grow this and that and this beaches are here and, and it said uh, and beware of the locals uh, duchess and duchesses gliding from cafe to cafe you know and <laughs> there is a bit of that here of that hasn't changed has it? no i don't think so i think there's still that uh which is good they support you know they want good wines and they want good story and they want but you see i think all these this these international people here because there's a freedom that is that evolves here 100 percent, yeah and from an artistic point of view there's a clean palette mm. or not a clean slate with a palette of multiple colors that you can use yeah, well, I think some of us are doing some different things. There hasn't been a lot of, you know, back, you know, you know, don't do that here or anything like that. And that's exactly why I came here. I looked at Europe and just said, no way, I couldn't, you know, I, at my heart, I guess I am uh, entrepreneurial. And, and the only other place I looked at was Washington State, and it just didn't look as exciting and new as Hawke's Bay did, so, or New Zealand overall. You know, last night we've been, we've been down here in Hawke's Bay doing a, um, a presentation of food and wine for two days and last night we had a dinner and there was some organic one of the things that was served was an organic lamb and honestly it just it just melted it's and then they had truffles from Pukitapu sly, um, mandolin on top of some Jerusalem artichokes that were growing somewhere else and then they had a salad and then the salad was this fine leaf little watercress that was growing in a particular stream <laughs> below um, Timata Peak as some water was coming out of there. 
And I just looked at this foraging thing that has been evolving now and then looking at the food and then seeing, seeing the wines that you can put with it that are heroes in this region. And then to fish, you know, that we had um, raw kawai. Well, you know, kawai was only a bait fish a couple of years ago. And now mm. here we are having it in a fine restaurant. And flounder from in the bay here. And wow, it's just. Yeah, you see that with food. It kind of. Uh, and we see it even in New Zealand happen so quick was, you know, it went from, uh, you know, what was the leftovers is actually the soul food of the place, you know. And that's a perfect example with the kawai. Yeah. Mm. And so that was uh, coming from Gisborne down to here for these few days. You know, like I'm going, going, we're going home with heads just overflowing with inspiration. That's great. And when you have inspiration, you become happy. And when you become happy, your vines see that you're happy. And when you have happy vines, you have happy wines. Mm. And when you have happy wines, you have consumers, friends, customers all over the world. And when they smell this wine and they get a twinkle in their eye, and they put it in their mouth and they savor it like this. And the best compliment we can get is when the customer goes, mmm. <laughs> yeah? Yes, absolutely. And they get different tones of mmm. Mm. Some people go, mmm. Mm. And other people go, mmm. Mm. <laughs> depending on whether it's uh, like a beautiful Chenin Blanc or a full-bodied Malbec or Syrah. You know, a full-bodied Syrah must certainly be sort of mmm. Mm, yes, yes. It's a bit more brooding, you know. Yeah. So what what uh, what are you growing now at Milton as far as the uh well we we grow far too many different varieties because you know we think of an orchestra instead of a, a quintet mm. and uh, but the varieties that we're growing are to represent sweet sour salt and astringent and umami so we have one of the n most northern vineyards of Riesling in the country which we make a late harvest or semi sweet low alcohol wine a Riesling to represent sweet. Mm -hmm. And sour, we have uh, Chenin Blanc for the acidity, and we want that to have a real mouth pucker as much as we can get, so that it makes you salivate quickly, you know, within three seconds. Sure. Salt is what we have, Viognier, and Viognier makes you salivate after about seven seconds, so it's suited for, let's just categorize it as Japanese food or something that has got uh, rice and nori and... When did the Viognier come in for you? When did you plant 97, that? 97. We oh, were okay. one of the first people who planted. Mainly mm -hmm. because we saw food was, eating culture was cascading out of the dining room and onto the footpath. Mm -hmm. And so people were drinking things more casually and not so precise fruit, fruit or acidity. So the Viognier is about the salt, but then it's also about the umami, the, you know, the sense of deliciousness. Sweet sour salt and the astringent is barrel fermented chardonnay and uh syrah to a degree but now in this modern age we're looking at these skin ferment white wines and wines without any additions are a little bit cloudy it's what that's what the young psalms and the and the opinionated restaurants and friends and family just want to sit there and drink and sing and be mm. happy so the varieties therefore then a riesling chenin blanc and there should always be a red to the white so there's malbec and Viognier, and so there's the red and white, Viognier and Syrah, and astringent, so there is Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, mm. and then other reds. Yeah. Yeah, I, I uh, was just thinking of two different wines that were eye-opening. One was one I did do a visit up to your vineyard uh, in O... Could have been 09, and you may have not quite released your 07... Viognier yet, and I hadn't tasted a Viognier like that, and I was your top level, 
closest. Oh, yes, the closest in that, yeah. Oh, and 07 being the vintage that it was. I imagine it was pretty good up in Gisborne as well. Uh, I hadn't tasted something that um, expressive and understated at the same time to <laughs> yes. me. You know, that was the, and there was a tension in there. And I think the, you know, what I go back to saying, you know, a moment in the room. And it didn't matter if, you know, there were proponents of biodynamics or what they thought about wine or anything. Everybody in the room looked at each other when they tasted that wine. And this, the same thing happened uh, This just after vintage this year. I bought a Gravner 07. Right. Uh, <clears throat> orange wine. And I had, had, you know, I think those wines have peaks and valleys, you know, and, and uh, we just... We like any a, living thing. Yeah, and we hit a peak and... There was possibly 20 different winemakers and growers in the room, and everybody stopped in their tracks. I didn't know if it was how it would go over. I just brought it because I thought, well, these people will appreciate it, and I'm not going to – this wine is not to be drunk by myself. Yeah. <laughs> and um, – and But principally, you could like the Gravner wine. It's not made to be tasted. Like exactly. In the, the, the well, table. there's food everywhere. And, yeah, you know, it's we're enjoying, to be, again. Enjoyed. You know? Yeah, and drunk mm. with friends. And, and that's what happened. It got passed around, and – we were having a great time. Um, That's uh, a pretty old Gravner, 07. Yeah, I luckily forgot about it for like a while. Like he doesn't make too much, doesn't put too much SO2 in there either. No, and, and potentially why some I've opened have been questionable or, you know, curious wines, but not necessarily yeah. as, you know, wow, there wasn't a person in the room who thought, what the heck is this stuff? It, it You know, some people who would uh, not be into orange wines or skin fermented wine whites would say it takes away a little terroir and this one had both you know it had all the texture and all the things you'd want uh and you knew at the same time knew this was a great italian white wine which uh are my favorite wines in the world so um it might have been a good favorable moon phase as well that's that's probably i have to look back at the date i got my my moon calendar up there yeah so you know what to do tomorrow i hope so i don't know if i know what i'm doing man but um you know, to get these wines to get uh, uh, to allow people to, you know, when you say these orange wines, that's been commented that they disguise the terroir, mm. then, you know, we could spend hours talking about that because I can't find a place or a wine that epitomizes the terroir more than having this effect of the skin with the juice yeah when it's right it's right i agree yeah. yeah i agree and i'm not i uh it's such i think it's such early days for some of us we just need a little patience and to figure it out you know and, uh, i have a daughter and she's 29 years old and making wine in the forest range in the adelaide hills in australia and and completely natural wine it's just absolutely amazing at 550 meters above sea level and you know she even puts ear earphones on the barrels when the wine's fermenting and like I looked at it and thought that's a bit crazy but you know there's these things that these younger people are doing and you know you can you can feel this love in the wines yeah yeah that I think that's the main thing is you you have to find your way and and, Mm. uh, particularly uh, this next year like you think about how things were in the 60s compared to the 90s compared to the 2018s and um the teens we can call them the teens can't we yeah well in those days but there is a there is a life cycle there is a generation that it goes in this industry and it seems to be like 30 years Mm. and you see what's fashionable 30 years ago to what's fashionable now or to what the people are drinking now 
and it's quite interesting to see that rhythm and how it goes, like where Hawke's Bay is as a region or where Gisborne is as a region in terms of their evolution and their commitment to what it is that they do best. Yeah. And then the young people come along and they want to do something that takes it yet to another level, which is which is really exciting if, you, if your mind is open. Yeah, well, I found uh, years ago when I went back to do a harvest in California – how fun it was it was a place called gerard but they were i kind of went to go work for them because they were an expanding brand i could have gone and worked at a small premium research kind of winery again which was what i did the the year before and were there were white gumboots uh no it was uh it was really small it was just this you know all single vineyard cabernets and a bit of chardonnay called pina and just family owned and really nice it was great experience i thought i can't really top that as far as a small winery experience so I went to work on a bigger team, and we just had fun. You know, so much fun working with, you know, there was probably four or five people who had never worked in the industry before. And just to be around that again and that excitement and learning curve, and then there was a lot of, you know, there was probably three or four of us who had, you know, half a dozen to, uh, vintages under our belt and were, were in it. Uh, and just to be around the team again was, was mm. fun. You know, it's it gets it's good enthusiasm. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So when people want to come and work at our place, we ask them two, three questions. The first one is, can you cook? The mm. second one is, what music do you like? And the third one is, what's their star sign? And it's interesting to see the different, you know, the difference between Italians or Germans or French or Californians in this instance, as to how they take this questioning of their own self. Mm. And why do we ask that question? And the reason why we ask it is we want to see where they can fit into the orchestra that, that is a vintage. Mm. You know, the, you can have Absolutely. the climatic conditions of vintage, but the sociological aspect of vintage is equally as important. <laughs> you gotta, you got to build the team. And I'm a control freak too, being a left-handed Virgo, and so therefore, you know, <laughs> causes a few problems every now and then. Yeah. How's that working out for this guy over here? <laughs> no, I think it works okay because he's English and he's got an opinion and he's uh, young. Good, good. And he's 28 years old and so he's in this generational thing, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And he's sharp. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah, we had a great uh, team this year. I was sort of in and out at Paratua and what a great thing they're walking out. We just had a great mix of people there and uh, it made all the difference, you know. It just music? Makes, music was great. We had... Um, you know, I have my own uh, influences as yes. well that sort of come out of maybe a more, uh, uh, you know, sort of 90s uh, classic. And then all the bands, some of the bands I used to work with and everything. We had this girl, Amy, who's Canadian, and she brought in tons of great, great music from from her experience. And, uh, yeah. yeah. I listened to a Thai reggae band music last night. Can you imagine that? Thai reggae. Well, it's near the ocean, right? Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. You could almost smell the spice. You smell the spice in the sound. I've been listening to. Again, we're getting back to youth. Uh, a girl called um, Snail Mail okay. out of Baltimore that is just floored me with her. She's a virtuoso anyway, classically trained, but she's just playing guitar and singing, and lyrics are so mature. And it reminds me of something that would have come out when I was in high school. And this is her first album, and you can say, well, well man, where's this kid going to go? You know, this is great. Uh, and then the other one is the jazz pianist, uh, Joey Alexander, who's a virtuoso. He's 
13 or 14 years old from Indonesia. Oh, and, really? And yeah. he is, first of all, there's classical virtuosos, which you say, okay, well, this kid's just been practicing so much. And yes, there's probably talent there too, but jazz, you know. The, they have a different rhythm? It, it's a different rhythm and it's a different, uh, it's improvisation. And he can take a John Coltrane song and make it his own. And how do you do that? He was doing this at nine, you know. And, you know, Wynton Marsalis and these great jazz lessons were saying, well, you can't question this. It just is, you know. That, that's, that why did this happen? Who, why him? It just is, you know. Listen to this kid play. And uh, it's like he gets possessed. We can pause it for a second. No worries. Yeah, no worries. Without a blip, modern technology. Nobody just will know like the difference. Pause. Pause. Here we are again. Um, but uh, so this rhythm of music through the cultures, and therefore then the rhythm of music through the cultures, and then bring that into taste and wineries and what sort of people you're working with or vineyards. I think that's really important that you know that those that question about music, particularly uh, for me, I uh, don't know as much about the signs, uh, but I'm certainly open to it and I've seen trends. Um, but with music, you can tell just how you would respond to that email too. Like you said, you know, first of all, is it a step back for you or is it, Oh, I can't wait to tell them what I'm into, you yes, know, yes, and, and I'd be that way. I'd be like, what, what's the latest things I'm listening to? Because he's interested in me. Yes. And, yes. Know, absolutely. Doing, especially these young people, they want to sort of, they have, they have, uh, they're in their zone of inspiration. So they want to be part of that. But, you know, I go back to orange wines or skin fermented wines and we're getting a lot of compliments for it from a particular genre and we're getting a lot of criticisms because we're an old established wine brand and what are we doing these stupid things for and so you know it's in the international printed media where people are saying these wines are terrible but it's in the international social media that everyone's going wow these things are incredible and um, inspiring going back to that word too you know yes yes but also, I made a comment the other day that, um, uh, how is it? Orange is to wine what punk is to music. Mm. And not everybody like likes liked punk music, but it's still music. And it's going to, sh- and it's a shifting, you know, it's, it's going to really shift the parameter, you know, it's changing things. So. Yeah, and a vivid expression about a, a sensation. And it's certainly needed and, uh, <laughs> Obviously, the not only the consumer base but the industry, you know, this is great. Why wouldn't you embrace it and say, let's try to figure this out and and go with it? Um, and it doesn't mean that you can't do it. You just have to do it good, you know. Or you have to do it well with the best intentions and make a great wine, you know. It's, and you can't play good music on an untuned guitar, can you? It's a, oh, going oh, back oh, to oh. Some more analogies with that. Is yeah. you know, every day it's it's uh, you got to put the work in and. And it's the same principles. It's just, uh, why not? So uh, I tasted, a- Amy made one of her Paratua this year that I tasted. And I, it was the first time I watched something from fruit all the way to what, you know, it's uh, not in bottle yet, but it's in barrel. And it's, it was exciting. And now we're tasting it. And she had a vision with it. And, and What did she make it from? Uh, Pinot Gris. And she had a little Gewurz in there okay. from a little part of the vineyard. Um uh, which kind of, you had that, I think I tasted one up at uh, Miller Road where you had a little bit of, was it a um, bit of musket in it or something? No, you? we had, that was a, it was called Libiamo. Yes. And 
it was Gewürztraminer. I thought you said there was a hint of another variety on there. Uh, well, we had a field blend, which is Viognier, Marsan, and Musket. That's the one. Yeah. Right, yeah. So I've had both of those. But okay, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, like Viognier, Marsan, and Musket is, once again, there's bass, li- bass notes, hmm. tenor and treble notes, and yeah. taking it through into the glass. It's so exciting. Do you think, uh, do you know the term synesthesia? Which, of course. Yeah, which I, I, was, I joke around that I suffer from it, but I certainly... I think it's a, a benefit, and I've often been called out for saying uh, colors and tones for on yeah. my palate, you yep. know, or that I hear. Yes. Um, I mean, you take a, wine, a glass of wine and you smell it, swirl the, glass, swirl the glass and smell it, and then you take the glass of wine, same glass, and swirl it and smell it with your eyes closed. And then you go through that process and ask the person to, to tell you what color they see. Yeah. And then you give them four fabrics, silk, satin, linen, and lanolin, and tell them to go through the same processes again, close their eyes and smell it, and hold on to the different fabrics and see the color changes in their mind's eye. And then you have to ask them at the end of it, is it sweet, sour, salt, or astringent? It's just, it's like you can do it with children of all things. They're the best at it. Between the age of seven and 14, yeah. They're... uh a profound experience that I would. they shouldn't be drinking. Yes, no, no, but just, even if it's just smell, uh, it's, it's something I would have never thought of that turned out to be a great thing, and it just shows you why you should put your hand up. When I, the very first weekend I was in Hawke's Bay, I volunteered to go work for, I saw there was a Harvest Hawke's Bay and that EIT was going to do a, a, you know, a workshop, not a workshop, but they were going to do a tasting, and I said, I'll volunteer to go the first weekend I was here to help out at this, I said, I would love to just go meet some people and do this. And what it was, was they mixed up flavors in, in the lab, I think of Sauvignon Blanc, right? Okay. So they had a passion fruit glass and a guava glass all the way down the line. And, you know, 99% of the time, if, if they walked out with their parents and kids, the kids blew away the parents at guessing every right. Yeah. Uh, and you know, you were meant to match what you smell and what do you think you smell? And then you flip the card over and, that's guava, that's passion fruit, that's capsicum, you know, and the kids, you know, the fresh palate on these, you know, seven-year-old kids that were walking up was, it was hilarious, and I I thought, this is the coolest thing I'm going to take away from this, you know, Um, yeah, it was great. I mean, it's mostly against all the licensing laws and like that, but, you know, again, these... It wasn't wine, it was just uh, smells, you know. But, I mean, like my kids, there was, there there always was, and always is wine on the table, Mm. and... You know, they've got the most vivid imagination, to my mind, and uh, they can undress a glass of wine just in a smell. I did a tasting in the city on a Saturday afternoon in a wine shop, and um, so we had about 20 people in front of us on the front of our table, and there's this man there with a little with his daughter with him. And she was going, Dad, Dad, come on, I want to go, I want to go. And she, he was saying to her, you know, shh, darling, just give us another few minutes or so. And I said to him, excuse me, but can I give your daughter a glass to see what she smells, to see how she smells? And he goes, oh, gosh, anything to keep her quiet. <laughs> and um, so I passed the glass over to her, and I said, I want you to take this glass, close your eyes, swirl it, and smell it, and tell me what color. And these 20 adults sort of thought, well, this is fairly nutty. Mm. And there was quietness there. And she took the glass and did exactly that. And she looked up, and looked up at me, and she said, I smell yellow. And I went, That's, it was a Chardonnay. Uh, I said, yes, that's exactly it. So, um, well done, good on you. And 
She's hooked. We kept on doing our <laughs> wine tasting with the other people, and I looked over at her 20 minutes later, and she's still grasping this glass, and just with a huge smile on her face because she had smelled a colour yeah. in her dream world. Huh? It was just amazing to see that she had gotten into the space. Yeah, we're the, we're the same. We put I put every glass I pour in front of my daughter's nose. Yeah, and your daughter, she's again, is just three. three years old. Yeah, so uh, yeah. I hope, again, going back to that sense memory, I hope... You know, that's all we can uh, from anything I have experienced in my life is the best we can do is uh, is give experience and and uh, and engage with our children. You know, and and again, the thing is like from conventional viticulture or wine growing to organic to biodynamic wine growing, it comes down to the point of the reason you do it is because you can be bothered. Mm. Whereas if you sit on a tractor all day spraying herbicides, you don't really give a rat's ass about. The only thing you think about is when I'm going to get the job finished. You don't have the ability to smell the earth being turned or look around and have this feeling, and that transpires when you go home as to how your children pick it up, pick up how your vibe is. From mm. Like, I'm not trying to sound too egalitarian, but it's just you, you go to an organic wine growers meeting and everybody's happy. Yeah, It seems to be that everybody's happy. Yep. And for the right reasons. Yeah. Contrary, you know, if you go to, uh, I wouldn't even say a winery, but just a sort of dry corporate atmosphere, but it's miserable, you know, and it, it could be any industry, you know, and when I think people are engaged to work with their hands and be a part of it and, and passionate, and yeah. of course it's going to go that way. But um, I should probably, I was just thinking uh, when you brought up organic and biodynamic again, um, <clears throat> for the novice out there. Uh, and I'll put myself in that camp for the moment. Uh, explain what it biodynamics. Is. Uh, you know, obviously you're not going to do that in five minutes, but um, it generally takes two days, so we'll yeah. be quicker. <laughs> <laughs> two days or twenty years, but uh, or twenty-one years, I should say. Um, yeah, you know what? What well, do you do at, at Milton? How did that start? And, and what is? And when did you discover biodynamics? And, and so, you know, I mean, going back to the beginning is a conventional way of doing things is that you have to be in control of um, the disease. So you have to be on top of the things that are going to go wrong. And then when you come to organic, then you stop using herbicides and you stop using systemic chemicals and you stop using soluble fertilizers. And it's really the things organically is what you don't do as well as keeping your environment clean and stuff like that. So it's what you don't do. So you're not controlling, but you're starting to work with things, nature, in a way that is sensitive to the environment. And then with biodynamics, it's a step on from that, and we say it's what you do do that matters, because bio is about life and dynamic is about energy. And so when you think of the word dis-ease, then we take the dis and throw it away, and we look at the ease... I mean, it sounds so coy, it's almost laughable. It's, we look at the ease and we say, okay, in the given situation, how can we make this easier? The climate and the weather conditions are such that they want things to grow or they want things to retract. And so we have to be able to make that, stimulate that situation by using compost teas or herbal preparations or things like that and what happens at the end of all of that you get the soil life uh, under your feet that is just making so much noise it's like a 
it's, it's so loud because there's so much microbial activity going on there and the roots of the plants are living in this microbial activity and then coming up through the leaves and so you have the earth, the water, the air and the light and keeping that in harmony and balance and then so that's what we do and we, then we, our work is done also in relationship to the position of the moon mm. so the moon goes around this earth in 29.3 days and in that time it passes through the 12 constellations and the research has shown that each of those 12 constellations there's three of them that relate to earth there's three of them relate to I'm sorry there's three of them relate to roots there's three of them relate to leaves there's three of them relate to fruits and there's three of them that relate to seeds and so you look at a grapevine and realize that it's a fruit with small with large seeds and a thick skin so you find ways of trying to stimulate the moment in that 29 day rotation that is building up the health and strength and ease of the plant and after a long period of time then same thing for the work in the winery if you want something to ferment then 48 hours before a full moon you can give the barrel a little stir or 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 enhance the fermentation process like that and conversely when you're bottling something you want it when the moon is descending so that the aromas and fruit characters don't escape too much Mm -hmm. and then that carries on to the tasting of when you can do the wine not saying that you must taste the wine on this day or not that day you'll get different characters you get different characters and you know sometimes they go home at night time from in the winery and think, my God, these wines taste so good. It's, they're amazing, and I feel very enthusiastic about them. And other times you feel a little bit uh, somber. Sounds like Pinot Noir to me. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. So that's what the difference is between chemical or, or conventional organic and biodynamic. How, you know, easy enough to uh, follow that path or that uh to bottle and to taste and appreciate how it's going to taste, but how often do you find yourself challenged with, uh, in a given season, with picking when you want to pick and fermenting, or is it just a matter of we're just going to wait before the full moon comes? Um, is it? That's interesting because when you don't use chemicals to control fungus, you the the uh, learned people say, oh gosh, you must be subjected to uh, having to pick it when you don't want having to, pick. to pick it when you don't want to but in actual fact the opposite happens that you can actually wait for that event to f- pass or or wait for that ultimate moment mm-hmm. and then take advantage of it there of course in a vintage you only get one chance a year so you have to be on your best form and you can't control the weather per se and so there could be that you've got to part- pick things in the wrong time mm. but it's you know all our all of our when we can pick the right time, that it follows through in the in the uh, in the quality of the wine, right to the bottle and even beyond, because it's got this rhythm in it. It's got I mean, I could certainly attest to seeing it. You know, now that you put it in that terms, which uh, I'm not unfamiliar with this concept, but I I certainly can see the idea of man, it was a tough vintage, but. You know, we were able to leave it hang out and pick it when we wanted because of the weather. But in this case, you're, you know, because of the way we've treated it all the way along, man, we didn't have that great of a summer. But when it was it was ready when we picked it, and conversely, man, we had a great summer and we had to we we left it out too long or picked it too early, and uh, because of X Y Z. So you know that that time is so important. And so I guess the question is is have you seen that in a wine where uh, you know, you had a great summer, and you're like, man, we just had to. We couldn't pick it when we when we wanted to, according to our calendar. Uh, and that wine, 
you know, it may have been a solid wine, but not quite there in your opinion is, you know, you open up, I don't know, an 09 something and you go, mm -hmm. man, that's right. That Viognier that year, we had to pick it a day later or a week later than we wanted or whatever it was. I think that as well as, you know, it's a couple of, like, I'm, I'm never satisfied. I'm never happy with the result that we get because it's just not quite reaching the point. Mm -hmm. And we could have some really amazingly, excellently fantastic wines, but you know, we could always do this that little bit yeah, better. Yeah, sure, sure. And, um, and when we look back and say what 09 was like, as I said before, it's, it's about s social activities and environmental activities. And, uh, you know, we only get this, it's this frustrating thing, you only get one chance a year. Yeah. And so you really, there was an old expression that I heard, is that uh, come vintage time, you may turn your head, but never take your eye off, the, off what's happening. Yeah. So you just can't go home on s Friday night and say, well, we're going to pick grapes on Monday. <laughs> and... Um, and I, you know, that's just an our little situation. If we were running a bigger winery or, or had other interests, then it might be a different story. Yeah. Um, I'm going to uh, sort of request, if you haven't heard this already, there's a phenomenal podcast uh, called Radio Lab out of America, out of, right. uh, out of New York. And uh, it's, it's pretty science-driven. There's a little bit of a... Uh, other elements to it but there's a fantastic episode that i'll dig up for you to listen to and it's about a uh, forestry woman in oregon or washington i can't remember who basically you know grew up in a family of forestry and and then uh, she became a phd and whatever that degree would be and uh started you know really researching different forests and found that the uh, an incredible relationship between the fungus in the forest and the trees in the forest. So much to the point where, uh, you know, when she sort of started mapping everything out as best she could and expanded out that she thought it looked like a brain, you know, that fungus and the reciprocal relationship between, uh, you know, all the plants, but particularly the, you know, the trees of this giant forest and what was going on with the fungus and messaging underground basically so that if some beetle or something came in on one end of the forest by the time it got to the middle of the forest the leaves didn't taste good to the beetle anymore and he buggered off and uh just I, I, I distinctly remember i think i was working in the winery that day and just like mouth to the floor of somebody who came at this not with any intentions at all but just was a very good researcher and had some really cool data and some really interesting, and uh, I would love for you to hear it and ask you about it again yeah, some months like from now. That. It's it's just it was really cool, and there was all kinds of other stuff with you know, uh, uh, you know, it was near some uh, some brown bears and they were eating salmon, and the salmon was going into the earth and then showing itself again in the trees, and it's just mind-boggling yeah. stuff about nature that, that that we just dismiss on a daily basis you we're know? still left to question where the world wide web actually did start <laughs> exactly it's all underneath us you know and then I've, like we have this uh, my email footer says you may think we're standing on dirt but it's really the rooftop of another kingdom mm. and then the funny other thing is that you you hear about tree huggers and if you want to divide an audience by about 99.9 percent .9 and you start talking about tree hugging trees then they throw you out the door pretty quickly but now with what you're talking about with this podcast and what we're hearing about this new not new but this revelations about trees talking to each other and stuff like that then you have to 
it's a wacky stuff. Isn't yeah, it? and the fungi just as messengers too, which yeah. is is, and they have this symbiotic relationship where they're basically mining minerals from some of the rocks and then giving it back to the tree. It was just fascinating. So, well, uh, again, the thing is that with biodynamic wines, let's say, and orange wines, then uh, this whole concept of producing polyphenols in the plants as a defense mechanism so that the leaf tastes bitter to that beetle that was going to eat it. And that tree or that vine tells the next vine that there's a beetle coming Absolutely. Along. I mean, that's what I'm getting at is that, you know, you have to, we look at the, the whole ecosystem or, what you know, um, and what's going on underground and this messaging uh, between vines and messaging between vineyards and, you know, it's all, it's a lot more going on in there. And Well, then again, the thing is in the wine, you can have this biological antioxidant, which is the phenolics in the wine from derived from the skins and the seeds. And so as a result, you may you have the opportunity to use less chemical antioxidants if you're doing that. Mm. Or else in the orange wines, then the pucker factor in the mouth is uh, longer but softer. Mm. So you don't have to add anything to the wine to make it taste agreeable because it's got this sensation of completeness to it mm. just through building up the soil. Yeah. Grapevines, huh? We've seen it just on the around the house here. You know, we've done just simple things, and uh, I mean, we were we've seen these like waves of things happen that like uh, beetles or ladybirds, ladybugs. This this past year were just everywhere. You know, mm. and I thought, oh, that's a good sign. You know, and uh, bees and things like that. Yeah, you know, yeah. and uh, um, Certainly, and that's just this little area right here. You know? so, so like in our vineyard, we have cows to make manure, and they the manure is part of the earth and the water. And we have bees to make honey, but also to bring what's called the astrality into the flowers of the grapevine so that the smell becomes more lifted and the bees look after the air and the light. So the bees control the insect world, and the cows control the, um, the understory. So in a harmonious situation, which is... It's really far out. It's amazing. Yeah, i got to get back up there. It's been too long since I've been over to your vineyard. but It may not be perfect, but parts of it are excellent. Well, sure. Is nature perfect? You know, I think so. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we, we could probably – are you good? You have, you have anything else you wanted to say? Or? Well, you know, it's two days we've got to fill in. But, yeah. You know, I'm pretty, thank you for asking these Yeah, I get a feeling awesome we're going to – we'll probably do this again uh, at some point uh, because this will probably spawn – this whole thing for me is based on curiosity. So yes. this will spawn more questions and um, I'm sure I'll like any time, much like you're, uh, you always want to get better. I'm, I'm going to look, listen to this or think about this days yeah. and weeks from now and go, man, I should have asked that or that, but that's okay. We can do it again. I you think, know? I think in conclusion, what we'd want to say is that with this multifaceted look at, at the, your senses that some people, listeners might think it's weird um, but what I see in the world is that this is we're becoming the new normal, mm. what we're doing from a food point of view, from a wine point of view, from an environmental and social point of view, that uh, if it is a bit weird to people, then all you do is look at yourself in the mirror and smile, <laughs> and the next day you'll see the world in a different aspect. Yes. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Uh, 
Uh, that was great talking to James. I hope I really do hope we can do it again. Okay, CariWine.com, DecibelWines.com, Milton.co.nz are the sites you want to visit. Um, at Decibel Dan on Instagram and Twitter. You can always visit at Vin Story Podcast on Twitter. Decibel Wines on Facebook. Talk to you guys soon.